Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Content Show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. So interviewing, it's easy, right? You just ask a bunch of questions, record the answers, and that's it. You're done. Now, of course, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, or if you know me at all, you know that that's actually not true. Interviewing at a high level is an art and a science, and it involves complexities that are, frankly, kind of hard to appreciate until you actually encounter them. So, for example, people in positions of power, such as, let's say, a CEO, can often be kind of careful during an interview to not say the wrong thing, and they might lapse into corporate jargon and kind of blandly recite the company's purpose and mission. In other words, not giving you what you really came for. But as the interviewer, that's a problem, right? You you need to get what you came for. You want the real thing. But how do you get beyond that kind of corporate facade and get an interviewee to open up? So to help us unravel this puzzle, my guest for this episode is Dean Nelson. Dean is founder and director of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. Dean is also founder and host of the Writer's Symposium by the Sea and author of the book, Talk to Me, How to Ask Better Questions, Get Better Answers, and Interview Anyone Like a Pro. Dean, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks so much, Jeremy. I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, that you found an application for my book in, in the world that you're in. So I'm grateful to be part of this. Well, we're, we're grateful to have you. Okay, so, so let's get into it. I want to start with kind of a general question, but in your experience, what's the most common or maybe the most important thing, or maybe those are one and the same, that novice interviewers don't understand about the complexities of the interviewing process, especially when it involves interviewing someone with, like, in a position of power, like a CEO? I think one of the, the big challenges in interviewing CEOs, anyone with some kind of authority or entrepreneurs or founders or whatever, is that they often get asked the same questions over and over. It's like athletes after a big game. They get asked the same thing, and and you can just feel the cliche machine turn on. And and your challenge as the interviewer, as the person who's trying to get something useful, is maybe you're after that same information, but the challenge would be to ask it in such a way that the the person you're engaging is is really thinking about it and having to drop out of the the cliche machine and really speak to you human to human that's that's the challenge and so i think asking maybe a similar question but giving some thought ahead of time as to what's the angle i could go for that might give me a little bit of an advantage here mm. that's where where i think the the fun is and it's also going to be getting you something that's going to be more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Great point. Right. That people get asked the same questions and that can get kind of boring. And yeah, so they I just mean, have what, these what, ready-made answers. Exactly. What are your projections for the next fiscal quarter? I, you know, I, I, that's going to be that's going to be a standard question that that a lot mm. of people are going to be asked. And so you're you're 
your way of getting at it will be, what are you doing this quarter that's going to be different from last quarter that will help you achieve what your, what your goal is? So just it, that's, that's not a major shift, but it's enough of a shift to get them out of the cliche machine. Okay. So now part of this, part, part of being able to come up with different ways of asking questions is thinking about it. Like you said, doing a little preparation before just right. showing up. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about kind of the research and preparation part of this. And in, in this particular scenario, let's say you're a copywriter at a you know, company and you're assigned, we need you to interview the CEO or some other, you know, high ranking subject matter expert. So beyond the obvious stuff, like reading the online bio, you know, which I think, or just Googling the person and gleaning what you can from whatever pops up, what other kinds of research are going to best enable you to come at the topic in a way that's going to help turn off that cliche machine? Anybody can read the online bio. If, if that's all you're doing, they don't really need you. What they need you for is to give them something beyond the online bio. So what I do when I'm preparing for any kind of an interview, and I've got some coming up this weekend in fields I know absolutely nothing about, I am looking into maybe what are some interests that this person might have, completely, completely different from the business or the topic that we're going to talk about. So what, what if the, maybe they played high school sports, maybe they were in the band, maybe uh, they were Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or something. And so if you can pull something, just a little nugget out of your backgrounding on that person and say, hey, is, is there anything that you're working on right now in your company that reminds you of when you were working to be an Eagle Scout, you know, so it just feels, it, those things feel unrelated. But the point is you're getting the person past the standard, the standard answer. You're getting that person engaged and talking at a level that they're not usually talking about. And it's not that hard. The thing is, not very many people do it. And so if you spend an extra 30 minutes or an hour digging in, finding something out that is interesting, that can connect you to that person, you're going to get, you're going to end up talking at a level that nobody else will be able to talk to Matt. Okay. Right. So digging for those kind of out, for those unusual details, or at least things that maybe other people haven't asked them about. Yeah, not just because you're interested in trivia, but but so yeah. that you can make some kind, you can connect these dots that will actually make the person you're talking to interested in talking to you. Yeah. What's your feeling about doing like a prep call with an interview subject? And, you know, I know that if you're a journalist, you would not do that typically. But if you're a marketer, then you might. I mean, for example, you and I did a prep call for this interview, right. you know? Right. And my goal there, and, and the reason I do it is as a form of research. You know, I'll go online and, and do those things too, but just to get on a quick call with someone and kind of kick around the topic a little bit 
and get a sense of the person, like what what are they about? You know, what are they what do they seem to be interested? And then then that helps me get a deeper understanding. What are your what's your take on doing something like that? I think it's a good idea. I I do it like these writers symposium interviews where where we bring in great writers like. Amy Tan or Anne Lamott or back in the day, Ray Bradbury and some, some great writers. I always try to spend some time with that person ahead of time, not necessarily to gather intel, but so that that person will be comfortable with me. And so the phone call you did in, in, with me last week, that gave me a comfort level with you that you're legit. I can talk to you. I can mm-hmm. I can have a, a certain feeling of of comfort that we're we're just going to be a couple of people talking about a, a, a topic of common interest. So I think it would it would be more from the interpersonal comfort perspective than than maybe information. Although you're always looking, you're always mining for something that says, I might be able to use this in the interview. But, but usually it's just to get some sort of emotional stability between the other person and me. Yeah, that, that's a good point, right? To have to begin to foster some sense of connection just to get to know each other on kind of a simple level, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. For, for, and, for and, these and kind that, of interviews. That way they trust you. Right, which is, I think, quite important. You know, I found in... My experience, it's not uncommon for people to be a little nervous when they, when they show up for the interview, even if we've done the prep call, you know, but in, right. especially if we haven't, you know, the few times when it just wasn't possible, most people show up and they're nervous. They don't want to sound stupid, you know, they, they're, they don't want to be got. And so I do find the prep call is just really useful for putting people at ease. And they get to yep. know me a bit, and like you said, like oh, okay, this this isn't a this person's not trying to trick me, or right. you know make me look bad, or it's not just all about them. They actually are interested in what I have to say. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's a huge a huge hurdle to get past. That oftentimes, if you don't do that, you're going to spend the first several minutes of your time together kind of batting that ping pong ball back and forth, you know, are you comfortable with this? Are you comfortable with me? Or, uh, am, you know, I, whatever. I, I just think that you get to leapfrog all of that if you have some, some time ahead of time that says, let's get comfortable in this dialogue space. Now, you know, in the case of at a company like a copywriter assigned to interview the CEO, there may or may not be an opportunity for a prep call, just given the CEO is very busy and important and all that. And which kind of raises another question that, that I find very interesting, that uh, there's, in that particular instance, a copywriter on the other hand interviewing a CEO, there's a real power imbalance, you know? There is. I was a copywriter at a company, so I was like one of the least powerful people at the company. And the CEO is the most, you know? Right. So- For copywriters, let's say, who find themselves in this position, what are some ways, you know, some tactics to kind of deal with that so that it doesn't get in the way of conducting a strong interview? Well, I hope, first of all, that the interview can be done in person. 
that's always going to be a better interview than doing it via Zoom or on the phone or whatever. That's going to be better. And let's say you only have 20 minutes or maybe 30 minutes allotted. I still think you need to take the first couple of minutes commenting on something in the person's office or something that uh, like the tie that the if the CEO is wearing a tie or or a, a brooch or something, comment on it or comment on a painting on the wall just to get some sort of human contact, some kind of human connection. If it's pictures of the, the person's kids or a bowling trophy or whatever, I, th- I think just making a comment about that tells the person, okay, this is a human being who's going to be interviewing me, not just, uh, not just this role player. So even if you have 20 minutes, I think the first three or four minutes should be spent in trying to prove that you are a human being and that you are interested in that person as a human being. That may seem like wasted time when you only have a, a limited amount uh, that you can draw on, but I still think uh, it's it's going to give the answers. It, it's going to get you better answers, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. that would be the first thing to maybe settle a little bit of that power imbalance. Just say we're it's we're humans, we're human beings. The other thing is when you start out, I think that's when you have to prove that you've done your research and you've done your homework. That's where you prove you aren't just asking the same questions everybody else is. You can start with, hey, I noticed when I was uh, reading about you that you uh, you pitched a no-hitter when you were in high school. That's pretty impressive. Or that you won a dance competition or you know, you want a trophy for riding horses or, or something along that line. And then that's going to put that person a little bit at ease. And again, then, then I think the, uh, the power dynamic shifts so that it isn't just role player versus role player. Now it's human to human. That's, that would be my, my first piece of advice there. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. Make it, bring it to kind of human ground. So mm-hmm. it's not like the boss talking to a lowly employee, you know, or a exactly. lowly employee trying to interview the boss. It, you know, I would think too, and I'm thinking back to years ago to the earlier days of my career of, uh, when I was interviewing people and I did a lot of science writing. So I interviewed a lot of scientists and it, especially when I was less experienced, it could be very intimidating. I'm like, you know, you mentioned just before you're going to interview some people about subjects you don't really know anything about. Yeah. Yeah, and that I'm, was the I'm case. Inter- well, I'm interviewing a world-class physicist this weekend, so I'm I'm okay. with you, man. I'm I'm with you. Right. And I remember I used to feel, you know, maybe we'd call it imposter syndrome or just a lot of anxiety about like who am I to ask this person questions? You know, I don't even I can barely understand the the research, right? But what I found is as I got better at this, just the more pre- preparation I did right? To boost my own confidence, the better it would go. Because I realized at some point that the minute that somebody agrees to do an interview and it doesn't matter who they are, you know, they could be the president of the United States. Like they are now, there's a kind of a shift in that power balance and that 
they're in your they're putting themselves in your hands and they're expecting you to show up and be competent and be professional and you know just dis- display a level of competence by asking good questions mm-hmm. and that it's totally in your power to do that because they're counting on you to kind of make this happen in a way that's going to go well and then that yep. becomes your responsibility and you know it's not rocket science it's really just doing the things that we've been talking about yeah, and there really is a shift. I'm glad you brought that up because there, there's a there's a huge risk on the part of people who are being interviewed by us. Yeah, you know that uh, that we're going to get it. The, the hope is that that we're going to get it right and that we're going to provide some clarity and and some some insight and some understanding. But that's up to us as the uh, as the interviews to do it uh, that way. And and the people we're interviewing know that and know there's a certain risk. Which is why, to a certain degree, there is some resistance and reluctance on the part of CEOs, on the part of business leaders, whatever, to even have these conversations. Because what if we get it wrong? What if we, what if we screw it up a little bit? So I think there is that shift, and they really do depend on us. Yeah. And so at least what worked for me is just, getting myself to a certain level of confidence or at least projecting confidence, you know, that that helps. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I, I've been interviewed from time to time, sometimes by like students, you know, who are just learning. Yeah. That's and always an adventure. Tell, like, they're nervous. Yeah. You know, they're nervous. They're, they can be a little timid, hesitant, you, you know, and as an, I used to teach, at the journalism school at Indiana University. So I, you know, I, in that scenario, I'm always like, well, you know, I want to be kind and help. So I'll even, in those instances, I would often be like, well, you might want to ask me this, you know, or, you know, but as a copywriter with a CEO, you you know, that's not going to happen. You never want to get in that situation. But I, again, to me, it comes down, again, it comes back to your, like the CEO is counting on you they're, they're, they ha- once they grant that interview, they're kind of acknowledging, like, okay, you're a you're a copywriter, you're a you're a competent interviewer. Let's go, like, let's do it. They're going to bring, you know, they're they're going to do the best they can to give you what you need. And then, I mean, a, another important point I think is that, and I kind of I think I kind of alluded to this in my opening, you know, little spiel that. It's also your responsibility as an interviewer, especially in a marketing context, to make sure you get what you came for and not just hope that you do and not just settle for, well, that's what the CEO wants to say. And so I guess that's what I'm going to get, you know, like, no, you have, you have to answer to your boss, like in the head of marketing or whatever, and you better make sure that you get what you came for. How? What's your thought on that? Like, let's say you start and you're not, and it's the cliche machine is on to full blast, and you know in your head you're like, oh man, this this isn't good. But you feel like, but it's the CEO who you know. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in that scenario? Yeah, I've I've been in those situations where you just get the sense that the person you're interviewing is purposely obfuscating, you know the 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 discussion so that you're not getting anything really concrete and related that they're just sort of running out the clock 
you know, yeah. because they, they know you've got 20 minutes and they've just taken eight of those 20 minutes, you know, wandering all through, all through the weeds and something. Sometimes that's done intentionally, but some, sometimes these, these people can't help themselves. You know, that they, they just start down a rabbit trail and they, and they don't know how they started there, but they, they, and they have no idea how to get off that trail. That's, that's actually your job. And there's a way to do that, I think, gently and kindly, but firmly. And, I, and I've seen this done multiple ways, and I've done it multiple ways, where typically what I will do is I'll just put my hands in the air and say, hang, hang on a second, hang on a second. I, that's actually interesting what you're just telling me, but I have a limited amount of time with you, and I know there's people out in the waiting room who want to talk to you. I've got to get at, and then I'll repeat that particular uh, point or question. And then oftentimes that'll just kind of rattle the person back to the present mm. and then they'll, then they'll get after it. Or other times I've seen people just kind of reach across a, a desk or whatever and say, sir or ma'am, I know what your website says. Mm. I want to know what you say and, and separate from the PR spiel. So I've, I've seen it happen that way as well. And then you can, you can also just blame your editor or blame your boss in, in some of these things where you say, okay, I've asked you about such and such topic. I don't think, I don't think I've really got it yet. And I know my editor is just going to pound me <laughs> when, uh, when I get back, if I don't have this. So let me ask you to put this in even simpler terms and then ask it again. I I think there are multiple ways you can keep coming in the side door and stop the person from from avoiding the question and you can do that without it being hostile or rude but but you can put it on yourself you could even say you know I know you've tried to answer this but I'm I'm just not understanding it so can we mm. can we go over this one more time Yeah I really like that it, it it's I think those techniques are very effective because like you say, most of the time, the person you're interviewing isn't even aware that they're doing that. I think that's true. I yeah. really do think that's true. Sometimes, sometimes they sometimes. are. Sometimes. But, but I think most of the time, you know, unless they really have an agenda, most of the time they're not aware. Like when people get talking, you just get talking. You're kind of in the exactly. flow. You're not really thinking about what you're saying so much. And again, I, I want to underline this point that I think it is, your responsibility as an interviewer, it is literally part of the job to, if that's happening, to disrupt it yeah, and to and do to exactly as you back. say. Yeah, right, right, and, right. And And most of the time, all you really have to do is tell the person you're interviewing what you want. Right. Like the things you're saying, fine, but I want to get beyond that. Can we, you know, I need to get here. Can we yeah. go there? And most yeah. of the time they'll be like, oh, oh yeah, you know, sure. I, and then, and then there you go, but you have and, to, and, you have to be able and willing, even if you're talking with someone who's more powerful than you right, 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 to kind of take them there. Yeah. And one of the ways you can do it so that it is in that person's interest, you can keep coming back to, I've, I've only been given 20 minutes to talk to you. 
So I, I have, so I don't want to waste any of your time here. So can we, can we return to this topic? So it's, it's sort of putting it in their best interest. Yes. Well, Dean, this is something I could talk about all day long. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, it? It's very interesting. It, it it really is something that again, I think a lot of people assume is very simple, very straightforward, but it's anything but. And and it's it's a very interesting topic. So, unfortunately, we can't spend all day talking about it. So understood. So, but just one final question. So, yeah, uh, yeah. how can people connect with you if they want to, you know, interview you? Let's say, or do they have questions? What's the best way? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I have a website that has a whole bunch of my interviews with great writers uh, mm. on it. It's uh, just deannelson.net. If, if you go there, and there's a place on there that says you can contact me, but just s- simply, it, you can just write dean at deannelson.net and, and you'll find me. Or you can go to my faculty website at Point Loma Nazarene University. It's Dean Nelson at pointloma.edu. That's probably the best way to reach me. And yeah, I'd be happy to uh, to continue the conversation for anybody who's interested. Okay, very good. Well, we'll put all that information in the show notes as well as a link to your book. I just want to get nice. it on, on nice. video here. The, so we'll, we'll publish a clip. And, yeah, and th- this is an excellent book. Um, on, oh, so if you want to learn about kind of get really deep into the art and science of interviewing I think this is the this is the book to look at. So, Dean, thank you very much for uh, for being a great interviewee. You're an expert interviewer and also a very skilled interviewee. Well, thank you, Jeremy. You asked good questions, so it was <laughs> it was it was fun. I I wish you well. Thank you so much. That'll do it for this episode of the B two B Content Show. You can find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. And as long as you're there, you might as well give us five stars and leave a comment about how much you love the show. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa. We are a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of really kick-ass content in just 60 minutes. Just 60 minutes. How is that possible? Well, check out our website to find out. That's Conversa with two N's, C-O-N-N-Versa.com. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.